I think a lot of times when you're in the moment, you don't really have the same perspective. You get wrapped up in what's next. I'm always thinking about what's next and never where I am now or what I've accomplished. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Lindsay Vaughn. Lindsay is the most decorated female skier in history. She has won four Women's World Cup overall championships, and she is a three-time Olympic medalist, including the gold medal for downhill skiing at the 2010 Winter Olympics. Lindsay retired from skiing in 2019, and in the time since, Lindsay has started a production company and is leading the Lindsay Vaughn Foundation. And now she's also got a new book out, Rise, My Story is on sale now. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you on. And before we jump into everything, we like to do, as any athlete does, a quick warm-up, a lightning round, so we can get to know you a little bit better. Perfect. Let's do it. I want to know, I've been thinking about this, is there a sport that you're bad at? I'm actually bad at pretty much every sport other than skiing. I mean, I love tennis. I wish I was really good at tennis. I think I'm good in my mind, but not in reality. I tried gymnastics growing up, just too tall, bad at that. I mean, I think mountain biking and road biking, I'm, I'm decent at, I guess. I'm always surprised when it's like, oh, I did this, but then I did this on the side. And I just feel like you guys are so insanely talented that I could see you. I bet when you say you're not great at tennis, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if I decided to choose a sport and really put everything into it, I could probably be pretty good at it. But I, I don't think I'm the most athletically gifted necessarily. There's certain skills that I have. I think I'm pretty balanced and I have good proprioception, good reaction skills, but I'm not my feet aren't exceptionally quick. I can't jump very high. There's certain athletic skills that I don't necessarily possess, but I, you know, I think skiing for me was a perfect combination of all of my skills plus my work ethic and mental approach. Is there any sport you haven't tried because you're scared to? No. I'm not really scared of anything, which, you know, could be positive, could be negative. I don't know. <laughs> I've kind of saved skydiving for, you know, when I'm really needing some adrenaline and can't find it. But no, nothing really scares me. If you could have dinner with one person tonight, who would it be? My grandfather. He passed away two years ago. What is the best way to like be you relaxed? How does your family or friends break down to like the real Lindsay? When I'm at home with my dogs, watching TV on the couch, that's me the most relaxed. I think anytime I'm with my dogs, I feel the most me and unless I'm on the mountain, but it's not exactly a you know place where you can necessarily interact very much when because I probably will be at the bottom of the hill waiting for you <laughs> to get down. <laughs> That, that would be very but, uh, true. But why? <laughs> yeah. um, when you do go on vacation, can you ski for fun or are you like beach? I prefer beach vacations. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm permanently frozen. I'm still de from my skiing career. 
But I actually just went on my first skiing vacation a couple weeks ago, and it was my first vacation since I was nine for ski vacation. So it was a different experience. I've finally learned what apres ski is, I and say, I love it. I was going to say, yes, where did you go? I should have been a champion at that. I went to France to Courchevel and Val d'Isère, and it was amazing. I had so much fun. I am only good at the opera ski. So, <laughs> yeah, you hey, know, that's, it's really all you need to be good at is. <laughs> yeah. What is the last thing you binge watch? I just finished, well, I'm almost finished with the morning show. That was a good one. Succession, obsessed. I wish they would just figure out who's taking over the company already. And I mean, Law and Order is like, for me, a classic. You are speaking our language. What is your favorite Olympic sport to watch? Probably gymnastics. I love gymnastics. I think it's so exciting to watch. You see so much athleticism and so much strength. It's one of those classic Olympic sports that I don't watch any other time besides the Olympics. And I just love it. And I feel like the Americans always do well. So it's nice. To- <laughs> exactly. My last warm up question. Who would you want to play you in a movie? I don't know. Maybe... Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Yeah. That passes our test. She would look good. She'd like rock the ski suit. Yeah. I feel like she'd be very fearless. Yeah. She'd just be that boss attitude. All right. We're going to jump into it. So you are known as one of the most mentally tough athletes. And I want to dig into what that actually means. But before we do that, bring us back. You are a young kid first starting out actually read that you were not so into trying skiing at first because you were too cold. (laughs) So, So when did you notice that you even had that mental strength? I think I first noticed it. Well, at least my dad first noticed it when I was, I think, seven or eight. And I was skiing in Mount Hood, Oregon, and it was raining, lightning, the lifts were closed, and I was out there skiing in the rain hiking up and down the mountain, taking run after run. And I was the only person out there. And I realized this is a perfect training opportunity. I don't know why no one else is out here. And I think that was also the first time my dad thought, well, I guess she really wants to be good at this. So I think I'm going to support her. So I think in that moment, we both realized I had something maybe. I want to dig into the idea, and you've brought this up and Carly just mentioned it, that not much scares you. And obviously skiing, It's a scary sport. At least I find it terrifying. Do you think you were born with that or did you develop it? I was definitely born with that. I've always been that way my whole life. I mean, I was like climbing up trees when I was a kid. I never had any fear whatsoever. And I definitely see some athletes that, you know, have had to fight to overcome it. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it's something that I was naturally given. And I feel like that's separated me from the pack and very thankful to have that skill set. There's so many kind of different parts to being an athlete at the level that you are, because there's not being afraid physically. And then there's how you compete. And then there's how you handle all of the attention around you and just general life growing up in that. Did you find that your fearlessness was able to translate into other areas? Or has it stayed that when you go down that slopes, like that's your zone? I think growing up, I was fearless in other things, but I think that's the one thing I had confidence in. So I think you kind of have to have both you need to be confident in what you're doing and and also be fearless. And I think over time, I've developed that in other things, in business and this next kind of phase of life. I feel like because I'm prepared and confident, I'm able to be fearless and transition that same skill set from skiing into really all aspects of my life. 
I want to talk about being competitive. I'll tell you personally, like when I was growing up, I'm the least athletic person. I could not have cared less about the sports and gym class or anything growing up. And my parents always described me as not competitive. I always described myself as not competitive until I went into the workforce. And I remember like very pointedly realizing, oh, I just wasn't competitive in athletics. So (laughs) for you, what is your relationship with being competitive? Do you think you are a competitive person in all aspects of your life? Yes, I definitely am competitive in pretty much everything. I mean, from driving to being with my family to friends, I mean, business, skiing, tennis. I literally get so mad when I play other sports. Like, I feel like I have to win. So it can be really positive, which it was in ski racing and also in business. But I think in other aspects, I've had to learn to let things go and I can't win at everything which seems simple enough, but definitely something that I've had to become better at. When you look back at especially your athletic career, is there a moment in time where you're like, that's where I had to like really learn the coping mechanisms of not letting being competitive hold me back? I think it's more so in friendships and relationships. I think that's where it's really hard for me because sometimes I let it I let my competitiveness, I get angry or frustrated and people think that I'm focusing that towards them. And so I've just really had to learn how to manage that. And so that it doesn't affect relationships. Like, I mean, I, I've broken my tennis racket playing tennis. And if you don't know me very well, you may not want to play tennis with me ever again. (laughs) So I don't know, just those kind of simple things and in relationships and things like that, that I've had to, I've had to manage and get better at. You've described yourself as a uh, perpetual one-upper. Is that what you mean by that? Like always having to have that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like I get irritated playing backgammon. I'm always trying to not only just win, but I'm always trying to get better. I'm not easily satisfied. You know, I actually am kind of never satisfied. So it's something where... Yeah, I've just had to learn to be better at it. Be happy with what you have and not always try to compete and not always try to be more and better and faster and stronger. You you can't that only helps in my athletic career. It really didn't help in anything else. And how do you walk back those feelings that have helped you so much in your athletic career, but as you said, have been a deterrent as you think about these next stages in your life? I think it's mostly awareness, being self-aware enough to know that I'm doing it and, you know, how to manage it. And I think it's also just maturing and living life now outside of sports. It's totally different. And I've had to just reel in my competitiveness and channel it in different ways. And I get kind of my aggression and things out when I'm working out and things like that. I can focus it in one way and again, just have that self-awareness when I'm not working out to, to reel it in and not let it affect other areas of my life. It's interesting because I'm like hearing all of us talk and we're all talking about being competitive as a negative word, that there's a negative <laughs> connotation. And I don't know if it's like we're three women talking about it, but it, it's interesting to know. And it's obviously given you a huge edge and helped take your natural ability to succeed at a different level, a different stratosphere. Back in your kind of active athletic days, what was your hype ritual? How did you get into that mindset? Like, how did you hype yourself up before winning? I'm really competitive and I'm really good at getting myself into that state of mind. I definitely had to learn through trial and error how to really 
make it seamless and really on cue be able to put myself in that position. I think sometimes when I was maybe not as uh, energetic, when I was tired or maybe down, whatever it was, I had different playlists, had different music that I would listen to. I would modify my physical warm up to kind of adjust how much I had to really get things going and depending upon my mood. So I, through trial and error, figured it out. I didn't have a sports psychologist. I didn't ever ask really any advice from anyone about it, but I, I felt like it was my responsibility to figure it out. I think that's something that you internally have to know about yourself. And I think that's one thing that athletes are really good at is knowing themselves, knowing their body, knowing mentally the approach that they need to succeed. Are you a rituals person? Yeah. <laughs> My physical warm up, what I did on the mountain, I learned when I was at ski camp when I was, I think, 12 or 13 from a former champion, Hillary Lind, and I never changed it. Give us an idea. What does it look like? (laughs) It's like, you know, I swing my legs, I stretch, I jump up and down, I do some lateral jumps. It's like just a physical warm up to get me loose and honestly, you want to be sweating when you're in the starting gate, which is very difficult to do when it's minus 30. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought about that part. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, like track and field athletes, they, your muscles have to be firing. You want to be actually sweating right before you go. And I mean, in like, for example, in Lake Louise, Canada, it's been minus 39. They've almost canceled races because it's been so cold. And it's, it's very difficult to get yourself to the point where you're sweating when it's that cold. Right. Wow. When you hear that today, are you like, I am so happy that I am not there? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was watching a race a couple of days ago in Croatia and it was like, there was a windstorm there. Were, it was, there was no snow. It was like dirt and there was like leaves blowing around in everyone's face. And I was like, you know what? I really, I'm not sad that I'm <laughs> out there right now. <laughs> I do want to talk about some of your biggest career setbacks have been your injuries. We read the rundown of your injuries in your career and it's intense. There's <laughs> a lot of broken bones, torn and strained ACLs, a lot of surgeries there were, you know, moments where you couldn't compete, like the 2014 Olympics. And I think two parts to it. One is not being able to physically do something that you love, that you've trained for. And the second part is it's your career. And it's the way that you are taking care of yourself and supporting yourself financially. How did you deal with that frustration? Yeah. I mean, injuries were Unfortunately, a large part of, especially the last seven years of my career, there wasn't a 12 month span where I didn't have surgery and in the last six years. And to your point, it was very difficult because that's my source of income. That's my career. And to continuously be sidelined from a financial perspective was difficult, which encouraged me even more to be focused on business and to really make sure that that component of my life was taken care of because skiing is not a lucrative sport to begin with. And then you combine that with injury and it becomes a whole new challenge. And then just dealing with the injuries themselves was difficult. Unfortunately, I got pretty good at it. I had a great team. I had great surgeons. I had an amazing physical therapist, Lindsay Winninger, and she's actually now head of performance for the Orlando Magic. So she really helped me through so many of my injuries. I definitely believe that I wouldn't have gotten back if it hadn't been for her. But injuries are an unfortunate and very common 
part of ski racing and in athletics in general, but I think especially in skiing because you see so many major catastrophic injuries almost every single race. This is a career podcast. We spend a lot of time on here talking about career burnout. And I think especially, you know, we're talking to you right now in in the middle of a pandemic, the height of Omicron rates, and people are feeling burned out everywhere. When you think back to the continuous pattern of getting injured, the, the strain you were putting on yourself emotionally and physically, did you face burnout? Did you experience that? I felt like to an extent, I experienced that. Our seasons are so long. We start racing in October and we end in March. And to be able to be at your peak every single weekend for that long of a period of time is incredibly difficult. And then you combine when you are successful, you've got media every day, you've got to manage yourself physically. There's so many different things that come into play that burnout is is very is a very real thing. I think for me, my injuries, if they did one thing that was positive, was help keep my motivation fresh. So no matter how many times I got injured, it gave me renewed perspective. I mean, I was away from the sport for long enough every time, no matter what the injury, unfortunately, where I felt like I had a second lease on life and I was hungry every single time I entered the starting gate. So I think that had I not had the obstacles that I had in my career, I wouldn't have appreciated the successes as much as I did. And I think it did help me from getting burnt out. And, you know, I always say if I didn't, wasn't injured, I could have achieved so much more, but at the same time, maybe I wouldn't have been as hungry. Maybe I wouldn't have been as tough. I wouldn't change anything that I did. And I, I certainly wouldn't erase my injuries if I had the chance. And unfortunately, it's interesting to hear you sort of like embrace the idea of perspective through that, because I don't think that's the first thing that would come to people's minds when they hear about what you went through. And I think even right now, like perspective has been something we've all gained in the last two years. But it's very clear that you're a risk taker when you're on the mountain. And that's what got you many awards. Now that you've transitioned into a different part of your career as a businesswoman, are you a risk taker in business? Yeah, I definitely am. And I take the same approach to business as I did in skiing in the sense that I pride myself in being prepared. So no matter what meeting I enter, what boardroom I'm walking into, I know who I'm talking to. I know what I want to do. I know what the company is doing. And so I come in fearless because I have that level of confidence. I also come in knowing that I don't know everything. And I think that also gives me confidence because I'm not looking to prove something that I'm not. I want to learn as much as I want to succeed. And so I think that combination is really healthy. And again, I choose companies to work with that I believe in. And that allows me to be fearless because I believe 110% in what they're doing and, and what I'm doing. When I work with companies, I really look to the leader. The leadership of the companies that I work with is so important because you have to be sure of what they're doing. And there's never a sure thing and nothing is in life is 100% guaranteed. But I feel like if I find an incredible leadership group with a company that I 100% believe in, that leads to that level of fearlessness that I had in skiing. I thought it was interesting when you were talking about when you were competing that one thing about elite athletes is that they really, it, it's internal at that point. Like they know themselves and their bodies and what motivates them so well. As you transitioned into the business world, who did you look for for mentorship? Was it that same individual journey or were there people that helped you along the way? 
But definitely people that helped me along the way. I feel like I always try to learn from everyone that I know or that I'm acquaintances with. I think I learned little pieces from everyone. I don't think there's one person that I learned everything from, but I have these great relationships with the CEOs that I work with, like Kevin Plank, for example. He's been a great friend and mentor to me since I first started working with Under Armour. I'm the longest standing Under Armour athlete. It's been almost 20 years now. When you can call up someone like Kevin and get advice, I think that goes a long way. I've also been lucky enough through Kevin to meet other people in the business world and through other CEOs. And you create this network of incredible people that you can call for advice. It's really confidence boosting when you have those types of people as your mentor. And if I'm looking at an athlete, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson is probably the biggest mentor. (laughs) I was waiting for you to get there because I had read about it. And I, I wanted you to bring it up to see how you would say it. What is he like as a mentor? He's so nice. I mean, he's probably one of the most kind people that I know. And I can call him for anything, whether I'm talking about, you know, our our Project Rock line that we have together with Under Armour. When you call him, are you like, hey, Dwayne or hey, Rock? DJ. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> calls him DJ. <laughs> but I can call him because of a breakup or I could call him because of business or I can call him because, hey, do you think it's smart for me to get into movies? I go on set with him and I see what he does and I'm able to you know, talk to him in between takes and he's such a professional. It's just amazing to be able to have someone like that that you can call that's not only a mentor, but a friend. I feel very lucky to have him. You retired in 2019. You said that, and I would assume this, that retirement was really difficult and emotional to write about. How are you reflecting on that time now? And how did writing writing this book help that process of reflection? I definitely think writing the book helped with the process and being able to go back and think about my journey. And I think a lot of times when you're in the moment, you don't really have the same perspective. You get wrapped up in what's next. And again, to my perpetual one-upping myself, I'm always thinking about what's next and never where I am now or what I've accomplished. And when I retired, I had you know a level of depression and also a little bit of resentment because I would have loved to continue racing. The only reason I did retire is because my body. And, and so I felt like there were things that I hadn't achieved that I wish I could have. But after about a year, I was able to really be in a great place where I accept where I am. I accept that I am retired and I'm lucky enough now to be in such a great place where I'm super happy, very present. I'm not resentful at all. And to be able to write this book and relive everything that I've gone through makes me even more proud of what I've achieved. And I think it's, there's a certain level of legacy that I want to have. And I hope that my, my kids one day can read my book and go, you know, I actually did something in my skiing career. If you had been able to read the great Lindsey Vaughn's book right when you were starting out, what do you think are things that you would have taken away and maybe avoided when uh, you were just starting if, if you had the benefit of hindsight? I mean, I read Peekaboo Street when Peekaboo Street's book when it came out and she was like my childhood idol and I remember hanging on every word that was in her book. And I guess if I were a kid reading my book, I mean, I would never want to change the experiences that I had, but I think it would have given me a little bit more confidence in accepting the obstacles that I face. 
I always felt like in my life, I tried to keep thinking, no matter how bad it is, this is a lesson that I need to learn. This is something that is going to make me stronger and inevitably lead me into the direction that I need to go. It's always been my, my mentality, even when I was like, you know, 13 years old. So I think if I read my book, it would probably just accentuate that perspective and, and give me a little bit more confidence in dealing with everything that was going on in my life. Let's go to a listener question from Tara. Lindsay, because you raced solo, did you ever feel like you didn't have a team to rely on? If so, how'd you get through those feelings of isolation? I oftentimes felt alone. It is a very isolating sport. We do have a team, but you're also competing against those teammates. So it's a really interesting sport in that way. It's not like tennis where you have your own trainer and your own coach and you're traveling just with them. I'm traveling with all of the girls that I'm friends with, but I'm competing against every day. And there's only so many spots on the Olympic team and there's only so many spots on the world championship team. And so as much as you want to be their friend and talk to them about what you're going through, you also don't want to give them any inclination of weakness. So it's a difficult thing to balance. But I think for me, in the end of my career, I had my dog Lucy and, and that honestly helped me so much because I had something, someone that was always excited when I walked through the door, no matter if I did well or I crashed, whatever the outcome, she was always there. But I also think I got better over time as I got older at managing my relationships with my teammates. And I think in the end, I realized that actually opening up to them and, and being closer friends with them and helping each other succeed on the mountain made all of us stronger. It didn't make me weaker. It, it made us all as a team and as individuals stronger. Lindsay, who else should we have on this show? You should have The Rock. <laughs> DJ should you definitely have You can introduce show. us to The Rock. We will we figure out that. a way. <laughs> yeah. We would love to talk to DJ. <laughs> I'll make the introduction. No problem. We would love that. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And congratulations on this next step for you. I Thank have no you. doubt that more and more good things will come. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with the Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday. 